Last week, if you were with us, we started a new sermon series on what we're calling Generous Living. It's a sermon series that looks at perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find that in the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 5. This message, um, as we started it last week, it starts, Jesus begins this sermon the way we normally end our worship services. He starts with the benediction. He starts with the blessing. In the beginning of this sermon, the eight declarations, blessed be, in these statements, these beatitudes they're called, Jesus isn't outlining the conditions. He isn't outlining the conditions for getting into the kingdom of God. Jesus is declaring the provision of God's grace upon those persons who otherwise would be perceived as excluded from the kingdom because of the condition of their lives. And if you've been following any of the coverage this week of Pope Francis's visit, there was a powerful moment down at Ground Zero when in the midst of a service down there, the Beatitudes were read out loud, these blessings of God. This, this isn't, as we saw last week, an exhaustive list of who's included as much as it is an announcement to all persons that the door opens from one side. We are blessed, all of us, not because we are properly behaved, not because we cooperated with God, not because we are sufficiently sincere, not because we practice good intentions. We are blessed not because we helped ourselves. We are blessed because we desperately need help and God graciously wills to save us. And why it's so important, we emphasized this last week, I think so important why Jesus starts here in this sermon that he gives is because it is the gracious blessings of our God in Christ that transform us into a grace-filled people. Grace begets grace, as we talked about last week. We are blessed to be a blessing. This is the key to understanding everything else that Jesus from this point on is about to teach us. It's only possible we can only even, can even visualize it, let alone actualize it in our lives because of the grace, the blessings that we have been given, are continuously given by God in Christ. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, page 677 in your pew Bible, we are going to actually begin to now dive in to what Jesus describes, how Jesus tells us what it looks like to live as people of the kingdom. Jesus is going to begin here to invite us, to teach us how to live generously. Let us hear from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open. This, just a few verses this morning, but just in these few verses, we see something that we know but I think it's important we're reminded. Jesus was a master teacher. He was an amazing storyteller. And just these few verses demonstrate why this is so. Because Jesus had this ability to use ordinary images to convey extraordinary truths. And, and right here we have a case in point. Right after these, the, his beatitudes, this word of blessing, 
Jesus offers us, he begins by offering us two metaphors for how we are to live generously, how we are to live out of the grace we have been given. We are to be, as you heard, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And and the way I want to unpack that for you is, in other words, what Jesus is saying right out of the gate is generous living emerges out of our witness to and for Jesus. Generous living emerges out of our witness to and for Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about three things. First, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a witness. Second, we're going to talk about how the metaphors of salt and light inform our witness for Christ. And third, we're going to discuss how do we practically share our witness for Christ. What does that look like? So first, what does it mean to be a witness? A witness is someone who communicates something, right? A witness is someone who provides evidence, who shares what they know firsthand. To be a witness is to point beyond oneself. It's to represent and validate the truth of something or someone else. We make the case for something or someone based upon our observations, our experience, our interactions with the subject in question. Therefore, being a witness involves giving testimony. And a testimony is an explanation for the reasons behind your witness. For our purposes this morning, a testimony is the story of why you live the life you do. A testimony is the story of why you live the life you do. And every follower of Christ, every follower of Jesus is called and empowered to be a witness for Jesus. So says not just Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, but even more significantly, so says Jesus in his final words to his disciples and to us before he ascends to heaven in what's known as the Great Commission. We all are called and empowered to be witnesses for Christ. Our testimony is not about what we have earned, what we have achieved, or what we have accumulated. We only have something to say, something to show for our lives, Because of the grace of God. Back to the start of this sermon, the benediction, the beatitudes. Therefore, our testimony, all of us, our testimony is a witness to grace. Our testimony is the story of God's victory in our lives. God's victory in our lives. It clearly and visibly points to how Christ is at work in our lives, how Jesus is alive and on the move in our experiences, in our relationships, in our decisions. Now, as we hear this, really important to get, even if we remove Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom, you all need to hear, whether we like it or not, we're all witnesses. We all point to some truth or some conviction in our lives. The question is, what kind of witness are we? To what or to whom does our life point? Does our life reflect? We're all giving some form of testimony throughout our lives. The question is, whose story are we telling? Does the evidence that we present for what matters, for who matters, for what's most important, does the evidence that we present hold up under scrutiny, under the test of time? That harkens back to our consideration of Ecclesiastes this past summer. The starting point, Jesus says, of being his blessing to others is through the generous testimony of our lives. So what does living my life as a witness look like? Living as a witness is about two things, knowing our identity 
and living out our calling. Living as a witness involves two things, knowing our identity and living out our calling. Jesus puts it this way. Living as a witness is about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. Salt is our identity. Salt is our identity. You know, if you take a little hydrochloric acid and you uh, pour it on your hand, which I don't recommend doing, by the way, it will burn a hole in it very quickly. That's why I don't recommend doing it. But if you add sodium, right, to that hydrochloride, you have salt, one of the most common and useful substances on the earth. Now, we don't think much about salt because we can get as much of it as we want, right? If you're like my wife, we don't think about salt except for when we go into those places that have the little packets and then we put a couple more in our purse so we always have it, right? We don't, we don't think about salt because we can get as much of it as we want. But salt, when Jesus is giving, us, giving this sermon, salt was so important, so precious in his time, it was actually treated as a form of currency. Roman soldiers, in fact, were sometimes paid for their services in allotments of salt. Our word salary comes from the word salt. The expression, you're not worth your salt, comes from the practice of, at times, paying Roman soldiers in allotments of salt. What is so valuable, or what was so valuable about salt that it was treated like money? Well, first, salt was valuable because it's a preservative. Got to remember, people didn't have refrigerators back then. If you didn't want your food to spoil, especially your meat or your fish, you needed salt. Now, salt doesn't prevent the process of decay, but it slows it down and it prevents the spread of decay. Meat left alone, we know this still today, meat left alone, unrefrigerated, will spoil. But if you cure the meat with salt, it will last a long, long time. Salt was valuable because it's a preservative. Salt was also valuable because it was a seasoning. It's a seasoning. Now, again, we're used to so many different choices in terms of what we eat. Many of us don't eat the same thing in a given week unless it's left overnight at our house. But back in the time of Christ, your food choices were limited. So more than likely, you tended to eat the same thing all the time. And so if you wanted to spice things up, to add some flavor, salt did the trick. Salt not only enhanced what you're eating, salt, as we know, creates a thirst, right? Salt is what causes us to crave something to drink as well as something to eat. So relating all of this to the witness of our lives, salt benefits food by its presence. Salt is put on food for the purpose of flavoring and preserving. In the same way, our presence, Jesus is saying, our presence in the world is for its benefit, for the benefit of the world, Salt never does any good when it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere. To be effective, salt must be in contact with, rubbed into the meat or the fish to slow down the process of decay and to add flavor. The church, in the same way, isn't supposed to be a salt warehouse. It's to be a salt shaker. To make a difference, we've got to make contact. We've got to rub off to get involved with where we work and live. Beloved, we have been given the opportunity and the calling of hindering the process of decay in our world. The vision and the truth of God's kingdom, which draws us here, is preserved, preserved through how we season the persons and communities around us. We bring out the flavor of God's grace in Christ. 
we, as we, we bring out the best of this fallen, broken, and frankly often bland world as we demonstrate love, compassion, and mercy in the lives of others. And as we know, this kind of seasoning creates a thirst for the gospel and for Jesus. One other thing about salt. Do you notice that when salt is applied, it dissolves inward and it disappears, right? Being salt is about our character more than it is about our accomplishments. When Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, he is referring to our character more than our accomplishments. Jesus doesn't say, Bible's open, you have salt, you dispense the salt. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Character is what it's about. Character is who we are on the inside. It's our character that determines our actions. And our character will determine how much influence we have for Christ. Jesus, in fact, says, if salt loses its saltiness, if salt loses its saltiness, if salt loses the essential character that makes it salt, it is no longer any good. It has lost its identity as salt. Beloved, our identity comes from our character, the character of Christ at work in us. By faith in Christ, our character is made new as God changes us from the inside out. Our Father is the one who makes us salty. And it's when we believe our identity, we believe what God says about us, that we are the salt of the earth and we will be empowered to act like it. Our identity is as the salt of the earth, but our calling, Jesus goes on, is to be the light, the light of the world. Light, it's all around us right now. Light is defined as a source of illumination. As children, we instinctively fear the darkness. We may grow out of it, but still one of the most frightening situations we can find ourselves in is to be alone in the dark, right? You know what I'm talking about? When it's so dark, you strain to see what is ahead, but you can only perceive vague shapes and forms. When it's so pitch black, you know what I'm talking about? So pitch black that you're blind to see your hand that you know is right in front of you. When you're alone in the dark like this, it's hard to relax. It's hard to be at peace. And this is because darkness distorts reality. Darkness conceals what surrounds us. Darkness prevents us from being able to move safely or securely. But light, light, however, enables us to see. Light enables us to see things as they really are. Light reveals what is hidden. Light provides direction. Jesus says our calling is to be the light. Through our testimony as followers of Jesus, in our humility and consciousness of our own sin and perfections. Please let me underscore this again. It is in our humility and consciousness of our own sin and imperfections, not everybody else's. It is in our need, out of that, out of that awareness, our need and reliance upon the grace of God that we enable others to see the reality of our darkened world and illuminate the truth of the gospel. You want people to see the light of grace? Stop telling them about their sin and confess yours. You want people to see how 
the light of grace, how powerful it is, start demonstrating in your own life, pointing in your own life how that grace is changing you rather than how much that grace can change them. Beloved, it is through the witness of our love and compassion that we shine into the darkness of the world and reveal the saving presence of Jesus. It is through our example and service and sacrifice, even in the face of personal suffering and persecution, that we point the way through the gloom. We point the way out of the shadows to our true home, a kingdom not of this world, but a kingdom breaking into this world as heaven comes to earth and makes all things new. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Before others. This, Jesus says this specifically because as he points out, life can, light can come into an empty room. As Jesus says, light can even shine under a bowl. And in those circumstances, it'll dispel the darkness. It will reveal what is hidden. It will provide direction. But here's the problem. No one will see it. Light is meant to be seen. Jesus, in fact, says, he implies, you might as well not have a light if you're going to cover it up. And that's why light, when it appears, is always elevated. It always rises. As Jesus puts it, it's put on a stand so that the throw and the influence of that light can have the maximum impact so that all can benefit from it. Beloved, what Jesus is saying is we are the light of the world, not a light unto ourselves, not even a light of the church. We are the light of the world. Our light, the light of Christ in us, is intended to be visible, to be raised up, to shine brightly in order to bring good, not just to some, not just to a few, but to everyone, everyone. And that means that out of the grace of God, we have to be willing, we have to be empowered to be courageous to bring the light out to where it is pitch black to those who are lost, to those who are confused, to those who are afraid in the darkness. I hope you're, this is resonating with the video that we just saw. Why this is our moment as the church, one of many, at a time when millions are displaced from their homes, when they're refugees, when they are walking in darkness, we are called to be the light of the world, to provide direction, to reveal what is hidden, love, compassion, generosity, and to show what's really there so that the world cannot turn away, cannot turn a blind eye, cannot forget that millions, millions, the number is staggering, literally don't know where their home will be, where they will be the next day, tomorrow night. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you catch this? See that with your Bible open? This is so important. We don't have to generate the light. We don't have to generate the light. We don't have to turn on the light. And again, in our modern age, we turn lights on and off. And we miss what Jesus is saying here when we think in these terms. We don't have to turn on the light. In fact, if that's what we're doing, if we're turning on and off our relationship with Jesus, depending upon our circumstances, then the light we are offering to others is artificial light. It's not the light of Christ at work in and through us. Because the light of Christ, when it comes into your life, as it comes into this world, the Bible is clear. That light, the light of Christ, is a light that never goes out. It is a light that the darkness cannot overcome. We aren't supposed to flick on and off. 
Jesus says we are to shine. Shine. Light doesn't call attention to itself. Light provides, as we've discussed, illumination so others can see things as they really are. Jesus puts it this way. When we see a beautifully lit city on a hill, we don't discuss the lights. We talk about the genius of the architect. When we gather around a well-lit table for a feast, we don't praise the light by which we eat. Instead, we give credit to the one who prepared the meal. So it is with the light of Christ. When our relationship and our commitment to Jesus shines upon those around us, when others witness the beauty of our good works, when strangers feel the warmth of our hospitality and care, as we dispel the darkness of ignorance, prejudice, and selfishness, people will perceive the reality of the light that comes from on high, the light that comes into the world that the darkness cannot overcome. When we are the light of Christ to others and for others, God gets the credit. God will be glorified, Jesus says. They won't talk about us. They will talk about Jesus. I'm a, a fan of Impressionists, the Impressionist paintings. And like an Impressionist painting, if you can imagine that image, the more others look upon the face of Jesus illuminating through us, the more light they will see and the more they will be transfigured by the person of Christ until eventually they will meet Jesus for themselves. They will meet Jesus for themselves. So how do we practically share our witness for Christ? If you have those Bibles open, looking just at those few verses, I don't think it's a coincidence, I really don't, that the metaphors Jesus employs here speak of us as his followers in terms of presence more than they do speech or instruction. Do you catch that? They speak of us as, in terms of our presence more than they do speech or instruction. And to me, that means being living witnesses for Christ and his kingdom is about action and not simply proclamation. We share Jesus, in other words. We share Jesus more effectively by being like Jesus more than just talking about Jesus. Generous testimony is something we have to live before we can talk about it. The strength of our witness, in fact, ought to be evident before we say anything. It's through our actions, our attitudes, our practices that people read us. We read each other, right? It's through our actions, our attitudes, and our practices people read us, and, and therefore they perceive our character. They will see or not see Christ at work in and through us. Yeah, we can go through the motions, and many of us are well-practiced at this. We can go through the motions, faking it by going through the motions. But here's the thing. When push comes to shove, we won't have much to say if there isn't any real relationship with Jesus in our lives. On the other hand, when the presence and power of Christ is noticeable in our lives, we won't have to bring it up. People will ask us to share our story. They will seek our testimony. For me, and again, I, I, there may be varying opinions about this, but I still, I still will make this point. I, don't, I, I think the, it's interesting. We've had this whole week with Pope Francis in our country. Pope Francis, to me, if you've been watching the news at all, and if you haven't, you should go back and look. I think Pope Francis has given a very compelling example of what Jesus is talking about here. His testimony, in many ways, could be described as generous. And again, regardless of where you may fall in terms of his theology, things that he said, what he is 
demonstrating through how he is carrying himself, his character, he conducts himself, is, is mirroring exactly what I think Jesus is saying here. Just this morning, um, when I got up uh, checking in on Facebook, and if you're on Facebook, there's a video, and it's one of many things this week where Pope Francis was in his little fiat, right, heading out, and all of a sudden spied a boy who had cerebral palsy, stopped the car, got out, and went over to pray and to bless that child with his mother. One of many things that's taken place this week, but what, I, what, what was compelling to me is numerous, I mean, more than I could count comments based upon that, and every single one, different things to say, but there was a common theme. I don't know if I believe in God, I'm not a, but I, I don't know, but there's something compelling about Pope Francis, about what I just saw. You know what? I left the church, but now I'm starting to wonder, is this what it means to be the church? When we let Christ shine through us, people notice they may not be able to put their hands, their arms around it, but they notice and they talk about it. And if you've been watching the news, not just on that Facebook post, news commentary, everything, everyone is, doesn't know what to do with this. And to me, what's convicting is, and I mean this with respect towards Pope Francis, his, his office and our Catholic friends, but Pope Francis is a flesh and blood person just like you and me. There's nothing per se, unique about Pope Francis other than he's living out of his identity and calling in Christ. And there's, you and I can do the exact same thing. And isn't it compelling that so many people in our world are shocked by this? Doesn't it say something that they literally go, wow, I'm, that's what it means to be the church? Wow, that's what it means? Doesn't that get you convicted? That either people are seeing nothing elsewhere or what they're seeing doesn't look like that. Doesn't look like this. Beloved, we are the salt of the earth. Not my words, Jesus. We are the light of the world. Our actions speak louder than our words, but don't walk away this morning without hearing that being a generous witness does mean we need to be ready when observation leads to a conversation. When a relationship has been built, when trust has been earned, and the questions come. About this, this time last year, we were studying Peter's first letter to the church. And if you remember, in that letter, Peter specifically told us, as we revere Christ as Lord in our hearts, we must always be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have. Mirroring what we're hearing here from Jesus, we need to be ready. We need to be practiced in the ability to explain our lives. To give an answer, not all the answers. You don't have to know all the answers, but to give an answer for who Jesus is and why we depend upon him. Each of us has a unique story, but this morning, very briefly, I want to give you just the framework of a testimony. Every, each of us has a unique story, but a testimony has three key elements. Three key elements to your testimony. First, the backstory. The backstory. Where have you been? Where have you come from? That's the backstory. Who are you? What makes you tick? In the past, what has your life focused on? What did you live for? And why? Have you always known Jesus? That's the backstory, part one. Part two of every testimony is the turning points. The turning points. What have been the decisive moments in your life, specifically in your relationship with Jesus? The turning points are what have you learned from Christ? In what ways has Jesus changed your heart and your mind? And when we share the turning points, beloved, in our testimony, it's so important that we share our doubts. It's so important that we share the questions that we've had. It's so important we share our struggles as well as our failures. Because remember, the power of God's grace shines not in our strength, 
but through our weaknesses. The backstory, the turning points, and then the third and final part of any testimony is the current chapter. Describe where you are in your journey with Jesus now. Remember, being a witness is tied to being a follower of Jesus, and our witness for Christ is therefore an ongoing testimony, not a static, contained one. As we follow Jesus, in other words, our testimony, our perspective, our witness changes and deepens. Our testimony grows as we learn from and wrestle with Jesus in interpreting and translating the good news of the gospel, the calling of the kingdom into the uniqueness, the distinctiveness, the particularity of our lives and circumstances. So when you're talking about the current chapter, you're answering the question, how are you currently being stretched, encouraged, and deepened in your faith? What is Jesus teaching you now? Where are you seeing Christ and his kingdom in your life today, in our world today. And if I could offer just a final word about a testimony, I've given you the three parts. Talk about Jesus like a person, not an idea. Don't talk about the Bible. Talk about Jesus like a person, because he is a person. Talk about Jesus as you would talk about someone who you, you are close to, someone who you've given your life to. Talk about Jesus as a person, and as you do, beloved, offer the invitation for the person who's listening to know Jesus like you have come to know Jesus. Invite them to embrace the grace of God in their lives through Christ. It's so important to offer and ask. And so many of us, we are afraid of that. But let me tell you something. If someone is asking to hear your story, if they're listening, you have all the permission you need to offer. To offer and invite someone to know Jesus. To experience and embrace his grace as you have. Don't forego that offer, that asking. But don't be afraid of a no either. That's why many of us don't ask, right? Because how embarrassing will it be if someone says, no, thank you, or worse, shut up, or that's good for you, but not good for me. Don't be afraid of a no. And here's why you don't have to be afraid of a no, because we're not called to save others. Hear that, church. We're not called to save others. That's not my burden. If it is, see you later. It's not your burden. We're not called to save others. We are called to be witnesses of the one who saved us, the one who came to save the world. If you've never done it before, and I was going to ask for a show of hands, but I won't put you on the spot, so you're raising your hand inside your head. Have you ever thought through your testimony? I'm not a writer. I'm not a really good speaker. Yeah, Moses had the same thing to say. Have you ever thought about your testimony? Have you ever thought about what you would say if someone asked? Because trust me, <laughs> you, well, all of a sudden you'll find yourself in that situation where someone will ask and you'll go, I don't really know. I'm not sure. If you've never done it before, I want to invite you this week. And if you don't do it this week, you're going to forget. Do it this week. Think through your testimony. And trust me when I tell you this, just in the act of preparing your testimony, bullet points, however you do it, writing a couple things down, just in preparing your testimony, you will see fruit in prayerfully examining the history of your life, you will learn and remember things about how God has worked in your life and changed your heart and mind. And if you take that time this week to prepare a testimony, in whatever form it is, it doesn't have to be a bestseller, you know, New York Times, top of the, however you express it, take the, the courageous step of inviting someone you know already who follows Jesus just like you and share it with them. 
Share it with them. I'm going to gamble here, but I'm willing to bet if you do that with your spouse, one of your parents, one of your kids, a friend, what you actually may find is that they may learn things about you they didn't know. And in fact, if they return in kind, you may learn things about them you didn't know. And if that can happen with the people we're closest to, can you imagine what God can do, will do, to the people who are strangers, acquaintances that we barely know? Being generous with our testimony means being willing to share it. There are lots of opportunities to be generous in this way. And you're going to recognize them and you're going to know them if you're ready and willing. But you're going to recognize them and you're going to be, have the opportunity even more so if you seek them. Being generous with the testimony of Christ at work in our lives can bless others. It can bless others in so many ways. It can bless them in helping them embrace Jesus for themselves as we've talked about. But two other ways sharing our testimony, being generous with our testimony can bless others is it can affirm where they are in their relationship with Christ. Jesus, I'm sorry, not Jesus, C.S. Lewis's definition of friendship is two people who all of a sudden say, you too? Sharing our testimony for someone else to be able to hear, you too? That's where you have those questions? You've been through that with Jesus? Sharing our testimony can bless others and then it can build them up and encourage them in their walk of faith with the Lord. Such opportunity just to be generous with what God is already doing and has done in our lives. Every week, I want to give you some kind of example for what we're talking about. And this week, the example I'm going to give you is going to come by way of a video. So I invite you to see what I think is a really poignant example of Jesus' call to be salt and light through this test. When I first moved to New York City, I thought I knew why I was coming here. It was going to be an adventure. I had my own agenda. I had no idea how much I would fall in love with the kids of the city and how much they would teach me about myself and change my life. I treasure my morning commutes on the subway. It's my time. Sometimes it's my only time with God. In those moments, I know his love for me, and I know that that's going to carry on throughout my day, and I know it's going to help me to do my job well. The Bronx is one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country. 75% of the people live below the poverty line, and where there's poverty, of course, there's going to be violence and sadness and strife, ugliness. Right in the middle of the Bronx is Middle School 223, where I'm a reading and writing teacher to sixth graders. It's where I spend my days every day. A lot of our kids at our school go home to shelters. They go home to homes where they are in charge. They see people get shot in front of their apartment door. Life has not been easy for them or kind to them. Morning. Good morning. Hey guys. Thanks for coming in quietly. Many of my students haven't been loved well. They've been abandoned. They've been promised things that have never come. They've been promised relationships with their fathers or mothers that have never happened. And so they're just worn. 
they're weathered, and they don't trust love. On the first day of school, the first thing that I tell them is, I've been thinking about you all summer. Like, I love you already. You may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. You could make straight A's all year and have perfect behavior all year, or you can get detention three times a week and I'm gonna love you the same. And then I spend all year trying to prove it. So I want you to think back to Monday. We chose that one personal narrative that we're gonna publish and celebrate and put out there to the world. Who am I as a person? What do I really want people to know about who I am? Well, it wasn't until recently that I realized that God had been preparing me for this job, for these kids at the school right now. I grew up in Georgia, mostly at my grandmother's house because my mom and dad were divorced. And then when my dad got married, I felt like I wasn't good enough. He, he wanted me to be perfect. I just wasn't good enough anymore. But I know I don't need other people to say I'm okay anymore. I did that my whole life, and I think I'm finally done. So maybe now I can just be Lindsay, and if I make mistakes, then oh well. I'm not only as good as what I do. Growing up, and especially now, even as an adult, I still long for that love and acceptance, and God has shown that to me and given that to me so that I can go and give these kids the same love and acceptance that they have always wanted, too. Over time, I really do believe this classroom becomes a safe haven for them, a place where they feel accepted and they know they're going to be safe and it's comfortable. I think God loves these kids so much, more than I could ever hope to love them. But I think He wants them to rest and to be happy. I think He wants to heal their hearts. Every day they walk out of my classroom, and at the end of the year, they walk out of my classroom forever. It's so hard. It's hard not knowing what lies ahead for them or what type of choices they'll make, and I just have to rest. I've done everything I could do. I've loved them the best that I can. And my hope is that they'll figure out that God loves them so much more than I ever could company that um, started filming this, just a group of Christians, they just, everyday people that they hear someone share the testimony about and they ask, can we come and film your life and, and give a snapshot? And, and I'm going to put a link on Facebook and on our webpage so you can see there are other videos like this one. Just really, really powerful stories of people just like you and me who are living generously by generously sharing the testimony of Christ at work in their lives. Beloved, <laughs> the encouraging thing I want to leave you with, the encouraging thing about both salt and light is a little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit can make a big difference. And therefore, what I want you to hear when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, what I want you to hear, what I believe Christ wants you to hear this morning is it's not about the amount. It's about the potency. And the beautiful thing is you don't control the potency 
The potency comes from the grace of God being unleashed in your life. You just have to be willing to open up and let it flow. We aren't called to save the world, but we are called to make a difference. No matter where we are in our relationship with Jesus, hear that, no matter where we are in our relationship with Jesus, thanks to the grace of God, we can sprinkle and we can twinkle. (laughs) If you leave with nothing else this morning, you can sprinkle and you can twinkle. Thanks to the grace of God, we have the capacity and the power to be generous in sharing the flavor and the illumination of Christ's love, truth, and mercy in our lives. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us together be what we are, what we are called to become, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen.